Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. But what does that mean, really? That's a lot of spooky buzzwords. What does that mean, really? Magic.me is a place where you can set a higher standard for your life than the people around you. Magic.me is where you can formulate your North Star. You can formulate a way of living, a way of higher living, an ideal, a set of goals to get to, to live your life by and get the tools to do exactly that. You don't need me to tell you. You can look around and all that you are going to see is people in a race to the bottom because they're probably kind of all waiting around, waiting for things to get better or waiting for somebody to come tell them um, what they should be doing because the sad state of things is most people need to be led. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what are they doing? What are they doing? At best, complaining. So that, of course, doesn't mean that everything is their fault because there are some really, really serious problems in the world right now. There are perhaps problems more serious than anyone listening to this, even including baby boomers, may have faced in their lifetime. Uh, it's bad. And a lot of that is structural. I'm not like one of these self-help people that's like, oh, well, just, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and think positive. And, you know, if bad things are happening in your life, it's because you didn't like think happy thoughts hard enough. No, there are serious structural issues in our world that need to be um, assessed, not by individuals, but by large teams of people over many generations to fix. And we're going to talk about that in that in this podcast. But that said... There is a tremendous amount of, of stuff that you can do as an individual to radically transform your life, even in the worst of conditions, because after all, isn't that human history? Point, to, point out to me the time in which things have been perfect. If anything, we could probably look at the last couple generations as possibly the best time in human history that we are now losing. So welcome back to reality. It's time to get some some better tools and luckily we have the tools that people have bequeathed to us for tens of thousands of years for not only dealing with crises but thriving that come to us as the world's spiritual traditions the world's esoteric traditions and most importantly of all the world's esoteric techniques for fully turning on your brain activating a hundred thousand percent of your potential as a human being and fully living all the way alive because it will take nothing less. Okay, magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. We're cooking there. We have a new course on meditation coming out very soon. Not right away. Uh, it'll probably be a couple weeks, but it's going to be phenomenal. We are just wrapping up, wrapping it up right now, doing the video. I wrote practically a new book's worth of material um, of very advanced meditation instruction, the history of meditation, the politics around meditation, the difference between meditative schools like the various Hindu and Buddhist schools and why that's important, uh, the dark side of, of the West fixation on Eastern mysticism and how to avoid those pitfalls, and most importantly of all, all of, all of the techniques, the real techniques of Raja Yoga needed to fully achieve whatever it is. I'm not even going to say enlightenment because I don't like that word, but to, to take yourself a very, very long way. And most importantly of all, all of the real techniques of meditation that will work for you no matter who you are, no matter what your background is. 
They do not require religious belief that you can achieve tremendous success with, even if you undertake them as a as some type of atheist, socialist, Marxist, whatever. You don't need to be religious. You don't need to uh, embrace Eastern mysticism. Meditation will work for you, whoever you are. All right, that will be coming out in a few weeks. In the meantime, we have Introduction to Magic, our most recent course, the greatest course on magic ever recorded for the internet ever in all history. It's all there, magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. There's even a free course you can start with. Okay, let's get to the podcast. So the last episode was about Gnosticism and the Nag Hammadi codices, and I, I hope you enjoyed that extremely deranged and psychedelic take on uh, reality from one of the most exciting sets of, of um, religious scriptures in history, I think. We're going to take a little bit of a side turn here, or maybe not. Maybe this is in exact alignment with the text I read for the last podcast, which was all about the resistance of spiritual authority figures. We're going to talk about the Bill of Rights. Yes, prepare. I'm going to do the meme where somebody cracks their knuckles and hits the all caps lock button because I am becoming a boomer now that I am 40. Okay, so this is important. I often get a lot of feedback online where people are like, hey, bro, why are you being political? You should stick to your lane. Just talk about magic and give us all the secrets we want of turning lead into gold and making money and summoning demons and whatever else people think they're going to do with this, which is ridiculous. Uh, you know, stick to your lane. Don't talk about politics. Now, first of all, that's a political statement. It always means don't talk about politics that are not my politics. I don't think that there is such a thing as centrism. That is a, 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 not a thing. Anyone who is a centrist or claims they are not political is making a political statement or says, well, I don't vote because, you know, they're all they're all crooks. Yeah, they are all crooks, but that's also a political stance. You cannot escape politics in this world just like you can't escape um, economics or spirituality, for that matter, as hard as you might try. So. Obviously, things are crazy. Um, I have been continually reading articles both in the in the American and British press about the looming threat of an, of an American civil war. There was just a study done by, a, I think, an extremely reputable polling firm. It was not Pew Research, but it was somebody like that, uh, concluding that half of Americans now expect there to be a civil war in the next few years. And um, one in five Americans believe that political violence is justified regardless of where they are on the political spectrum, although, of course, it leans right. So, this is insane. This is unthinkable. unthinkable. There, were, there was an article in The Guardian saying, you know, it's not a question of if civil war will occur in America, but when. Now, 
I've been thinking about this for a long time as a possibility, and the conclusion that I've often come to is, well, really, I mean, Americans are lazy. You know, we like Amer- we like reality shows, we like comfort. Um, Americans are all soft, comfortable, spoiled, uh, and and you know probably would die of exposure within like five hours of being left outside. Uh, and, and they have real crazy delusions and ideas about what that would be like from watching, you know, Netflix or playing Call of Duty or something like that. So this is inherently ridiculous. However, and I, and in, in talking to friends about this, you know, they've also said like, come on, like really, however, let's look at a couple angles on this. First of all, how many people are we actually talking about in any conflict in history? It only takes a very very small minority of agitators to kick something off. The majority of human beings do not want to fight. Uh, They only fight because they're pushed to by politicians or they're put in that situation by groups of revolutionary agitators. People forget the Russian revolution that took down a country as large as, if not larger than America was initiated at the beginning by six people. World War I was kicked off by one person. And obviously there was a chain of dominoes put into, you know, that fell everything that had been put into place for that to occur. So it's more complex than that, but um, it's pretty complex in America right now. There's a lot of complex factors in play. And it seems like in the last two, three years, every possible thing that could be done other than taking people all the way to not being able to eat, which uh, we've gone up some ways towards uh, has occurred. So I wouldn't be so cavalier in dismissing the possibility. Obviously, people talk about polarization online. They talk about political polarization, which is disgusting. Um, But in addition to that, we now have the very real economic and, and real pain caused by the economic fallout of the measures taken during the COVID-19 pandemic, ongoing pandemic. And we now have Ukraine. You know, uh, nobody thought that Russia was, you know, everyone, including me, by the way, laughed at the idea of Russia invading Ukraine all the way up until they crossed the border. So how unrealistic is it really? Okay, here is my thesis for this podcast. What if America itself is a kind of spiritual system? or framework, not an ultimate system for seeking ultimate reality or, you know, spiritual enlightenment or whatever, but a really, really good spiritual framework for becoming a citizen, an individual, and getting along with a bunch of people who um, don't believe the same things that you do. What if America, instead of being a zero-sum game, instead of thinking about it as a battlefield, instead of thinking about it as a political war, We think of it as an ideal that we are all falling short from. What would things be like then? So let me make my case for this. America was, at its foundation, a spiritual effort. It was the crowning effort of not just the Protestant Reformation, but also science as it existed at that time. It is the crowning effort of the alchemical tradition, of the Rosicrucian tradition, of the Masonic tradition, and... That's important. In fact, we might be able to say it is one of the most important things ever produced, not only by the Western esoteric tradition, but by America. 
I talked about this a lot in my book, John Dee and the Empire of Angels. There's a lot, you can find out a lot about it in other books. For instance, Manly P. Hall's Secret Teachings of All Ages or Mitch Horowitz's Occult America. There's a lot there to look at. But you have to remember, America was founded to get away from authority. It was founded to get away from the cognitive authority of the Catholic Church, which arguably it has not escaped fully. And it was founded to get away from the terrestrial authority of the British Empire, which we can also clearly argue it has not escaped from or simply the empire transferred its locus of control to America. The ideal, however, was a new world. Literally, it was a place for humanity to recreate itself afresh with the ideals of individual spiritual enlightenment and individual freedom. And for my money, that is one of the greatest things the human race has ever produced. And if we want to talk about Western esotericism, and be very, very honest about it, the two crowning achievements of the entire Western esoteric tradition are science and America, period. It's not operative magic. It's not all of the Camorras. All of that is essentially a sideshow to the two big fireworks that the Western esoteric tradition, meaning John Dee, Rosicrucianism, Freemasonry, all the people that were involved in that, the Enlightenment, Isaac Newton, all of these people, the two big fireworks that they pulled off or the scientific revolution and America. Let me put all my cards on the table here. I love America. I am doing this podcast from a patriotic stance as I understand patriotism to mean to me. There are many chances that I could have left America and just gone off to seek, you know, the more quote unquote spiritual goals or pursue that. There are many times that I could have gone to India and stayed there. There are many times that I could have gone to England or Canada. Every single time I decided to come back to the U.S. in order to fight. And this podcast is one of the manifestations of that because it is important to maintain what has been built for us. It is important not just for American politics, but it is important and and global politics, but it is important for the ongoing cognitive freedom and spiritual progression of the human race. I am also saying that from the perspective of, I have skin in the game. I live here. I pay taxes. I'm a fully engaged citizen. I come from a patriotic family. Um, my grandfather was at, what uh, was involved in, the, was a naval medic and was involved in the island hopping campaign in Japan. He fought in World War II. He saw the bomb drop from his ship. Uh, he fought in Korea as a medic. My mother worked at the Veterans Administration attending to the uh, veterans of America's various wars in whatever capacity was uh, possible uh, for the majority of her career, as I did at one point as an intern. So that is just the very basics of making the point to you that this is not coming from some type of burn-it-all-down anarchist perspective. I have skin in the game. So that said... You're going to be hard-pressed to find somebody who does not know more of the dark side or is willing to talk about the dark side of the U.S. uh, than I am. (sighs) I am not one of these, you know, ridiculous kind of, you know, there's a lot of ridiculousness right now. There's on, on the left, we have the kind of the delusional idea that the only thing that ever went wrong with this country was Donald Trump being elected president, as if this entire country is not built on a history of genocide, of slavery, 
of disenfranchisement of people, of chemical, of, of biological warfare against the, the indigenous population, of slavery, uh, one of the darkest stains on, on the whole human race, uh, on destroying other countries, of knocking over whole economies and putting them into the international debt schemes, of uh, drone striking children, civilians, hospitals, of mass surveillance and putting the entire populace under uh, mind control uh, through the mass media of, I mean, I, I could go on, of trafficking crack into the inner cities, of drug dealing, of, and, and that is only the tip of the iceberg of what we know. I mean, really, when you think about it, why was the United States in Afghanistan and Vietnam the two primary locations on the planet for heroin production? Were those wars really about oil only? Where do you think all of the opium for all of that Oxycontin that got pumped into all of America's communities came from? Open question. There's a dark side. Uh, look up, by the way, Fat Leonard. This is one of my recent obsessions. There is an ongoing scandal with the Navy getting in trouble with the, the entire upper brass of the Navy being essentially um, uh, you know, dirt doing corrupt deals with this Malaysian businessman named Fat Leonard, who was bribing all of these top, you know, the admirals with um, prostitutes, with drugs, with, um, you know, luxury goods, with large cash gifts in order to reroute naval ships to his shipyard so that he could get kickbacks on, you know, re, um, refueling them and things like this. Uh, it's a massive scandal. It's one of the biggest scandals in U.S. military history. No one's talking about it. Surprise. There is a really good Vice News um, special on it and a podcast, Fat Leonard. So, th so this stuff is is all in plain sight. And yet, and yet, you know, we've got the vote blue no matter who crowd on the uh, the Democratic side believing that everything was fine until Donald Trump was elected, which is ridiculous. Um and then, you know, on the right, we've got equally just utterly brain dead, uh, you know, you know, uh, just ridiculousness, uh, spec ops bros who are like, just buy BlackRock uh, or Black Rifle Coffee Company, coffee terminalist, bro. Uh, that is also ridiculous. They're putting up for election uh, a literal moron, Ron DeSantis, who, by the way, guess what he did in... Uh, the Iraq war when he was a Navy SEAL, he oversaw detainees at Guantanamo Bay. That's who they're fronting for their presidential candidate. Uh, meanwhile, we have Biden, who, uh, in the words of the great uh, Norman Finkelstein, is an Egyptian mummy who can't even remember where he is and has overseen the catastrophic failure of the withdrawal from Afghanistan, leading to unbelievable loss of human life and surrender of American weapons to the Taliban and, you know, just turning our backs on our allies to be tortured and killed. And, and obviously I can go on. So, um, we can talk about the dark side, but America as an idea, America as an ideal, and to a large extent, America in practice is a totally different thing and is an ideal to strive for. Obviously no one can do anything, you know, the nature of ideals is that you fall short from them. That's a given. We all agree on that. But without an ideal to aim for, you have nothing. And America is a great ideal. And to paraphrase Gandhi, America is a great idea that nobody has yet fully tried. 
So bear with me, if you will, for a cognitive experiment in this podcast. I've made the comment a few times on this podcast and on Duncan Trussell's podcast that maybe you can see the, the idea of taking the American Bill of Rights as a workbook or a spiritual syllabus, if you will, and looking at that not as just something that's a document that you learn about in elementary school, but as a set of principles to follow, to live up to, to take the Bill of Rights as a Bill of Responsibilities and to hold yourself to a higher level. What if you were to follow the foundational documents of this country as a essentially a spiritual exercise? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? So my argument is we can sit here all day long thinking apocalyptic walking dead stuff and trying to utterly annihilate the other side of the political aisle. Or maybe we should just reboot this whole thing from source code. That, I think, would be a lot more interesting. What exactly is it that we are fighting over? Can you properly articulate it? What is America? What was it supposed to be? Let's take that as our starting point. And what I want to do here is go through each of the amendments of the Bill of Rights and talk about what are they? What do they really mean? When you really consider them deeply as an adult, awake, spiritual person, what do they really mean ultimately? And what would it be like if we followed them? So I'm going to also point out, it is really hard to find the Bill of Rights Googling. I was really shocked by that. Danny was Googling it and could not, find, it did not pop up right away. Uh, that, that, that's, uh, that says something, doesn't it? <sighs> All right. So. My final point about the political back and forth zero sum game is this, and this is the most important point to make, not just about the Bill of Rights, but America and politics in general. And by the way, I know the majority of my listeners are American. I know not everyone is American who listens to this. I think probably 20% of the people who listen to this or, or more are outside of America, but hopefully this is interesting to you. At the very least, you have to deal with our crazy asses. So hopefully, um, it's it's uh, it's it's enlightening. Uh, obviously, also the American Constitution became the template that a lot of other countries followed to uh, some extent. So there's that. However, if you look at the political battle right now, particularly right particularly right now, and you look at both sides, you look at Democrats and Republicans. Whoever wins on each of those on either of those sides. America loses. And what I mean by that is each side violently wishes to take away rights from the other side. So we obviously have the Republicans taking away or attempting to take away reproductive rights. We have them trying to take away uh, drug rights or, you know, as, as I would put it, cognitive rights. The Democrats, however, also want to take away a lot of rights. They want to take away the right to bear arms. They increasingly want to limit or take away the right to free speech, the first two amendments. Um, this is ridiculous. So whoever wins on either side, somebody's going to get their rights taken away, all of which is in contravention. Now, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a legal scholar. So don't take any of this as a legal argument because I'm not that but all of which is in contravention to the letter or at the very least the spirit of the foundational documents of the country. Malcolm X once pointed out that, you know, don't talk about, it's not 
Democrats. It's not Republicans. It's the government. It's the government. This whole like dog and pony show of like, oh, it's the other side doing it is like triangulating. It's like when you have two parents each blaming the other for the decision that they made mutually so that they can, you know, get that one over on their kid. It's the government or as we should say, a government or just government. It's the government. Why would the government, why would a government ever want to cede power? Why would anybody who makes their whole, why would anyone whose career is being a government official want to cede power regardless of their political side? What would they gain by giving you more freedom or giving rights back to you? It just does not make sense. No one in the government is incentivized to maintain your rights. However, they are to a large extent legally checked by this document, the Bill of Rights. The whole point of the Bill of Rights is that it is a deterrent. It's a legal stricture. All of these rights to some extent have been violated or in some substantial ways taken away in America. However, that is still better than not having them at all. We just had Justin Trudeau in Canada saying no one has the right to a handgun for self-defense. Nobody. Okay, easy for you to say if you live in a gated community and have private security. What about people who actually need it? Okay, we're going to get to that in a second before I go down that rabbit hole. But think about it that way. America was set up to protect people from government in its foundation, in its spirit. It has fallen far short of that, but it has that as an ideal. We're going to go through all 10 of these amendments, and I submit that all 10 of these amendments have one fundamental guiding principle, and that is to protect you from the government. That's what all of them are about. And it doesn't matter what Republicans or Democrats argue or how they pick away at these things by making different straw man arguments or making up silly ideas about them or claiming that they're about things that they're not. They're all there to protect you from authority. That's why the Bill of Rights exists. Remember the context in which this was written. The United States had just successfully fought a war with Britain and one, which was the first major, it was the beginning of the post-colonial period, although American, America also became colonial and was colonial. Um, but the America had just fought a war with the British. And we now think about that as kind of like quaint and silly. Um, you know, the idea of a bunch of these people running around in the woods with like red felt on and just, it's just, you know, ridiculous. But was it really, I mean, what was really happening there? People were fighting to get out from under the British Empire. It was possibly the most brutal empire in world history. People forget the mega death toll on the British Empire was 19 million people. A lot of which were in India, a lot of which were a lot of which was done in totally brutal ways like forced starvation in Bengal in India. So it's not like England was you know, as they say, it's not about just a bunch of, oh, it's about a bunch of like rich white landowners fighting over, uh, over money. Um, I think there was a quite a lot more at stake than that. So remember the context from which this comes in. It comes in the context of people getting out from under the thumb of a brutal and oppressive force. That's the context that was written. This, this was written in, and that's the context that the foundational documents of the country were, were written in order to prevent from reoccurring period. 
And can you think of any other country in history that that has been the case for? This is why America is so important. Okay, so this is the Bill of Rights. And there's one thing to make really, really clear at the outset, which is what are we talking about when we are talking about rights? In the conception of the people who wrote this document, rights are not given to you by the government. Rights are natural. Rights are, in their way of thinking, given to you by God. They are inherent, you know, God or by any other name, okay? Rights you just have. What the point that they're making here is that the government is not going to interfere in them. It's not that the government gives you these rights. That is a really important distinction to make. The Bill of Rights does not say the government gives you these rights. They're not privileges. What the Bill of Rights says is the government is not going to interfere in these rights that you already have. This is a document that binds the government. It does not give something to you. It binds the government. It's about the government. Can you think of any other country in world history that has been brave enough to do something like that? I definitely can't. And we can see that we can see the effects of that all over the world right now, by the way. So this is not intellectual. This is not political science class. This is your daily lived life right now. Okay, so First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. Okay, there's a lot here. This is obviously the most important one. Because without these, nothing else can, none of the other ones can, can follow on. So let's start with freedom of religion. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you didn't have this amendment in place or something like this, um, good luck. Good luck. There's a lot of places in the world where just for believing the types of things or being interested in the types of things that we talk about in this podcast, uh, you will get a knock on the door in the middle of the night. Examples. Um, China, if you are a Tibetan Buddhist or a Uyghur Muslim or in Falun Gong, um, lots and lots of places in the Middle East, lots and lots of places in Africa. Obviously, you know, Europe is full of godless atheists, so it's a moot point for them, but uh, you, you take my meaning. Uh, if you are interested in paganism or, or magic uh, and you were in Europe before the foundation of America, you would have been killed and probably tortured. And that's still the case in, for instance, Saudi Arabia or uh, parts of Africa. So um, let's just kick off with that right there. Freedom of religion is, as given by this amendment, if you're American, is necessary for you to be interested in the things that you are interested in. So you right away have skin in this game. Now, that said, we have the entire idea of separation of church and state, which again, I'm not a legal scholar is not actually mentioned directly within this amendment. So then we have questions about, well, to what extent are certain religious groups in America just have, have been given total control over the government and that there is no, particularly when we talk about the Supreme Court, no effect of separation between church and state. That's a huge problem. I believe it's a separate issue than this amendment. But imagine if there was no freedom of religion at all and we just lived under the rule of like evangelicals period. And it was not only that, but it was illegal not to be anything else. I'll leave that there. Freedom of the press and freedom of speech. 
Okay. This is a huge point of discussion right now. Things are a little bit different than they were at the time that this amendment was written, particularly with the idea of outsourcing the press to private industry, specifically tech companies. Okay, so this idea that free speech is an an idea that is under attack from the left and being championed by the right, this is total nonsense. First of all, do you really think that they would allow everyone to have freedom of press and freedom of speech if they were in charge? If the Jordan Petersons and Ben Shapiro's of the world and Dennis Prager's, God help him, if they were all in charge, do you think that they would give you freedom of speech? Well, you know, take (laughs) good luck. What they're really saying is they're whining and whining and whining until they get more power so they can exercise it over everyone else. Everyone complains about things being unfair when they have when they don't have the power that they want or at least perceive it that way. And then when they get it, they exercise it against their perceived enemies. That's just human nature. So this whole idea of cancel culture, um, we have some of the richest people in the media, some of the people with the biggest platforms in human history, whining about being canceled. Jordan Peterson sold more books with that horrible 12 rules for life book than I think probably, you know, it's one of the best selling books, certainly of the last decade. You can't escape him. He's all over YouTube. He's all over Joe Rogan. He's all over. You can't get away from this guy. And yet he's claiming that his freedom of speech is being taken away because he had to address a trans person respectfully. Give me a fucking break. Give me a break. Um, In Texas and a lot of other places in the country, um, the... Republican right is banning a, a literally outright banning a lot of books in schools in Texas. You can't get Alan Moore's V for Vendetta comic in the school system. You can't get why the last man you can't get um, jazz, the children's book about being transgender. Why? Cause it's Antifa agenda. They think literally people are trying to tr- turn their children into Antifa by giving them Alan Moore comics. Um, not the brightest, uh, brightest of, of people that we're talking about here. So, But let's look at something else. Let's look at the top 100 most banned and challenged books in the country between 2010 and 2019. Because surely, if we wanted a a clear indicator of what cancel culture actually is, it would be banning books. All right, let's take a look. What's the number one thing on the list? The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie. Have you ever heard of this book? Do you hear Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson talking about it? I certainly have not. So Sherman Alexie is a Native American author, great, great writer from the Pacific Northwest. Um, and this book is a young adult book about the reality of growing up on the reservation and the substance abuse and alcohol issues and, and in some cases, sexual abuse issues that people are going through on the reservation and it is just very it just doesn't pull any punches but it's also a great book and it is meant to inspire people to you know to to make more of themselves so uh this is the most banned book in america this is real this is what's actually being canceled uh native american literature hmm there's a real dark irony to that as well because you know, to really spell it out. I mean, in theory, these are who, who's actually banned in America, the people we genocided. They are still silenced. Let's look down the list. 
I don't know as much about these other books, but um, <laughs> they're, they're not being whined about by Jordan Peterson. Captain Underpants by Dave Pilkey, 13 Reasons Why by Jay Asher, Looking for Alaska by John Green, George by Alex Gino, and Tango Makes Three by Justin Richardson and Peter Parnell. So I went down, I did go through a lot of these books. There's some more uh, famous ones. Let's see, Fifty Shades of Grey is number eight, The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, The Kite Runner. Uh, by Khalid Hosseini, which is um, about uh, the experience of, I believe, Bacha Bazi boys in Afghanistan. Uh, Hunger Games, actually. I Am Jazz, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, To Kill a Mockingbird. The comic book series Bone is number 16. What? Um, there's a lot of, let's see. Yes, the Scary Story series. Brave New World is, that's great. Brave New World is the 26th most banned book in America. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Handmaid's Tale. Okay. Is number 29. Huh? Yeah. That radical left is added again. Uh, of Mice and Men is, is banned. Let's see. Beyond Magenta, Transgender Teens Speak Out by Susan Cucklin. Uh, Huckleberry Finn, A Child Called It by Dave Pelzer, famous book. Uh, Nickel and Dimed by Barbara Ehrenreich. Persepolis by Marianne Satrapi. Beloved by Toni Morrison. Anyways, uh, the Bible is the 52nd most banned one. That doesn't make any sense. The Color Purple, Catcher in the Rye. There's a lot. The Diary of Anne Frank is banned. <laughs> uh, okay. I think you kind of get the idea here. If you go down this list, um, basically what you're going to see. Oh, here we go. Yeah, 1984 is banned. 79th most banned book in America. Okay. If you go down this list, basically what you're going to see is the common denominator for a lot of these books, in fact, almost all of them, is that they are the about the lived experience of people of color and queer people or indigenous people. That's the common denominator in them. Okay, that's who's actually being canceled. So conclude from that what you will. But um, I don't want to hear Jordan Peterson talking about how the radical left is at it again, trying to take away his freedom to speak. And then when he opens his mouth, it's just the same stuff you hear from every angry dad ranting at Fox News. So imagine what it would be like without the First Amendment. If that's what's actually being banned. Okay. Um, the right of people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for the redress of grievances are... Our culture provides for protest. Sometimes it over provides for it in the, the very traumatic case of 2020. Um, the operative word here is peaceable, peaceably to assemble. And I'm still traumatized from people like Chris Cuomo coming out and saying, uh, or Kamala Harris egging on rioters in 2022 and people burning structures and looters because it saw it, it fit their political agenda and then whining to the high effing heavens when January 6th happened and a furry got into the Capitol. Okay, a furry touched your sacred baby. Okay, I know it was more serious than that. I know there's militia people. Um, okay, obviously it was serious. January 6th was a joke. It never should have happened. It is embarrassing. It is ridiculous. Anyone who was involved in that should not be surprised when the government comes down on them with the full force of law. What the fuck did you think was going to happen? That said, suddenly everything, all the rioting that happened all over this country, terrorizing normal people, um, burning down small businesses, having massive economic effects on people uh, who were just trying to live their lives. The Chaz in Seattle, if you remember that, uh, all of that is just forgotten because uh, that 
that served the interests of the people now currently in office. It's just, you never hear about it. But that affected me. That probably affected you. That affected a lot of people in real serious and traumatic ways. But all we hear is about, all we hear about is the furry on January 6th. So peaceably to assemble. That is the stipulation and it's a good one. But that said, imagine what it would be like in America without that. Imagine what the civil rights movement would have been like without the First Amendment. It just wouldn't have happened. It just wouldn't have happened. People would have been put in jail or killed. Period. Imagine what the Vietnam War protest would have been like. Same. Same. Or take your pick. America recognizes that protest is a critical part of democracy. That's what it's founded on. A lot of countries that don't. Okay. <clears throat> so like I said, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, and each one of these amendments could, we, we could do a whole podcast about every single one of them. There's so much to talk about. I mean, just the first amendment, the first, just the first and second amendment essentially make up the entirety of our current supposed culture war. We have been arguing about them for hundreds of years. The Supreme court exists to interpret these things to a large extent. So, you know, we could talk about these for a long time. We could have, we could have legal experts on, we could do a whole podcast series about this. Um, so I'm just glancing over the top. Um, but I am just keep coming back to the idea of what if these weren't just rights, but responsibilities. What if you held yourself to that higher standard in order to fully, what does it mean to fully exercise your freedom of speech? It's like, okay, so Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise of, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Great. So it's like an old boss said, a lot of people in companies will, if they feel like they're not having a say in the company will kick and scream and say, oh, I, I want to be able to talk at meetings. I want to be able to give presentations. It's like, okay, well, uh, talk, what do you have to say? And they have nothing. They didn't actually have anything to say. They just, they just wanted to have the ability to have a say. And that's pretty much the case with everyone in the U S and throughout U S history, um, with obvious lots of ex exceptions, obviously. Um, and, uh, people also tend to be, um, scared when other people talk out and uh, try to either self-censor or censor other people around them. It's kind of the nature of people to be, um, you know, try and shut each other down before we even get to the legal level of things. But okay, let's talk about this as a responsibility. What do you have to say? If you have the right to speak and lots, so many other people don't in the world, and I will add, not just the right to speak, but um, the greatest platforms in human history with which to do so more powerful. I mean, this is comes from the time that the printing press had just, you know, broadly speaking, just been invented and people were, you know, handing out leaflets and pamphlets. Now we have Twitter. And again, there's, there's a lot to be talked about here because you'll often hear the argument uh, from the right of the aisle that, well, or the, or the left, and by the way, the, the phrase the left is kind of meaningless because in America, there's really only the center right and the extreme right. 
the left, when I say left should really mean um, Democratic Socialists of America or further left than that. It does not mean the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is not left, period. It's neoliberal. It, 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 it differs very, very, very little on key issues from the GOP. They largely just take up a lot of airways fighting each other over um, domestic and social issues. When it comes to the, the maintenance of the American empire, uh, they're pretty much lockstep. Or the power of corporations, you know, outside of Bernie Sanders, they're pretty much lockstep. Okay. Um, but there's this argument that you often hear that, well, big tech companies are private companies, so they can regulate their terms of service. And that's true. So they don't fall under the First Amendment. Now, that's true on the surface, but a lot of these were also um, subsidized and, and helped in their creation by the government. The Internet itself is a creation of the U.S. military, DARPA. Um, Facebook was set up with a lot of money from the State Department. Google was set up with NSA money and these are often these companies are often the beneficiary of government bailouts as are banks specifically banks are um, so and there is a revolving door very clearly of people working at these companies or private equity companies and then holding public office and then going right back to work in the private industry you see it at the top of the military you see it in Congress Somebody will be a congressperson or they'll be the head of some agency like the FDA or the DEA. And then next thing they're working for Amazon or Monsanto or something like that. And then four years later, they're back working for the public. So the idea that the public and private spheres are separate is an illusion. It's not real. It's not real. And obviously, at this point, the private sector has a lot more power than the government. Of all of the literary genres of the 20th century the one that most clearly came true was the cyberpunk genre and i will submit that the defining literary trope of cyberpunk is not computers or uh, you know far future japanese landscapes uh, cityscapes and things like this or all that blade runner, runner stuff i will submit that the defining feature of cyberpunk literature is that corporations are the bad guy uh, and that it's in the, at least partially in the future, right? So it's in the future. Corporations are the bad guy. I believe that I would say that's the criteria for cyberpunk. So in that case, you can say movies like Alien or Aliens, for instance, are clearly cyberpunk films and so forth. So uh, that's the world we live in now. That's the world that came true. And uh, it, it's true at every level of government. So at what point can we truly say that private companies are not bound by the First Amendment? I think there's a real case to be made there that they are public companies and therefore they should be subject to the First Amendment at least while they are operating in America. Okay, so that's obviously an ongoing um, and very um, multifaceted and sticky uh, cultural argument. But I will say this, if you, if you surrender your ability to speak to private companies, what do you think will happen? What do you think will happen? It's no better than submitting your freedom of speech to a government. The only difference, perhaps, is that they can't come kill you if you exercise it, but they can shut you out completely from the public square and just take away the right, or rather not the right, but the ability to exercise it. Okay, Second Amendment. Now, I guarantee that there will be something in this podcast to offend everyone. No matter where you are on the, on the political spectrum, 
something in this is going to piss you off. And I submit that that is a testament to the genius of this document. It provides for rights for everyone, not just people on one side of the political spectrum. It's a document about, it's a group document. It is not a document about individuals as well. It is a document of protection of the individual, but it's a framework for agreeing on how this is going to be done for a large, large group of people. So something in here is going to upset you, but without other people, and this is the thing that everyone forgets now, if other people's rights are not secured, neither are yours, period, period. This is why, for instance, the ACLU uh, traditionally constantly was providing free representation, legal representation to neo-Nazis as a primarily Jewish organization. Why would they do that? Answer is, if other people's rights are not secured, neither are yours. And this, uh, the way that censorship or the, the creeping um, removal of the ability to exercise rights, the way that that works is, is, is incrementally test bubbles, trial cases. So for instance, um, Alex Jones was thrown off of all of the major social media platforms and iTunes and all of that. And Alex Jones is an asshole and he was saying horrible things about Sandy Hook, a tragedy that is, you know, really beyond the pale for just about everyone um, and was just being a dick, right? And nobody really likes Alex Jones, I suppose, other than his many, his many listeners. So, um, of course, they would take him as the test case so that when they shut all of his stuff out or they shut out the Daily Stormer, right, which is a ridiculous neo-Nazi troll site. That happened before Alex Jones. And of course, nobody said anything because it's a morally indefensible individual that is being silenced. And to a large extent, people feel the same way about Alex Jones. Okay, that's called a precedent. If they can be silenced, and of course, they would start with that because nobody's going to have nobody's going to say anything or have an uproar because if they do, then immediately people will think, well, you support, you know, you're well, you must be a neo-Nazi or you must like Alex Jones. Like what's wrong with you? So of course, nobody speaks out. But that's now a legal precedent that can be expanded and expanded and expanded as it has been. And you need to understand this. All of this works incrementally. Sometimes it can work incrementally over generations. Um, it has worked incrementally in terms of gun control all over the world, and it is working incrementally in terms of gun control here. So there's something to offend everyone in the Bill of Rights. And I should also address this very important point. You will often hear people say, this was a document written by rich white male slave owners. And that's true. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't explicitly extend rights. Um, and in fact, it later had to be amended to extend rights to other people. Okay. That said, instead of scrapping the entire thing, why don't we then take that as a starting point and work very hard to make sure that these rights are secured for everybody? regardless of race, gender, age, background, religious creed, sexual orientation, gender status, whatever it happens to be. Why are we taking, okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a given that, and we should be aware of that. We should be aware of the fact that Thomas Jefferson had slaves. We should be aware of the fact that, um, Columbus to all, I mean, it wasn't part of the U S but Columbus to all, all intents and purposes was a human trafficker right? We should, we should be aware of, and by the way, I don't think that we're fully aware of how bad slavery really was. 
it, it is, it, you know, we should be aware of, of all of this stuff. We should be aware of the fact that PS Nazi Germany largely copied American methods from California specifically. Look it up. California eugenics program. We need to be aware of the dark side, but take what we got right and preserve it. Otherwise it's all darkness. Otherwise there's nothing. Take what, what is right, preserve it and work to extend it to everyone to bring it into where we are, not to erase it because you don't like the people that wrote it. They are dead. They've been dead for hundreds of years. We are alive here. Now, a lot of the, a lot of what we take for granted is thanks to this. So take it as a baseline. Okay. Second amendment. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Shall not be infringed, period. Okay, this is about as hot of a topic as we can get, particularly in the wake of the horrible shooting that just happened in Texas and the absolutely shameful response to it by the police. We have an unprecedented spate of mass shootings across the country that is now so bad that I just have to ask, at what point do we actually, at what point does this go from being um, freak incidents to an ongoing um, civil war? Because when everyone thinks about the civil war, and by the way, all of the top people researching the possibility of civil war in America will agree with me on this point. When people think about civil war, they think about the 19th century. They think about a bunch of people facing each other off, squaring off in a field with cannons and sabers, or they think about World War I or II, and they think about armies fighting uh, in an open battlefield. That is not what war looks like anymore. War looks like Ukraine. Or I would suggest that if there is to be, or if there, if there was a civil war in the U.S., it would look like the troubles in Ireland. It would look like constant sporadic outbursts of violence that are unpredictable and keep everyone in an, in an ongoing state of trauma and, um, and, and shock that the country's so big. Um, but, but, but then again, that's, what's already happening. Constant sporadic outbreaks of violence. And when I say constant, I mean daily, sometimes multiple times a day. Are there ideological sides to it in some cases, but in a lot of cases, no, but do there have to be? Perhaps what's going on in America is less a civil war than a civil suicide. However, if you look at the 19th century civil war, what was it fought over? Slavery. Do you think that abortion is an issue that is just as hot of a topic and that people on both sides of the aisle are willing to kill and die for as slavery? Uh, pretty close if not even more contentious for a lot of people, surprisingly. Okay. So a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Why was this written? The thing you'll hear people say always is, oh, well, that was about hunting. You know, this is the, the 1700s, you know, People don't hunt anymore. That's just to protect hunting. Okay. First of all, everyone hunted in the 1700s. If you didn't hunt, you didn't eat. So that's like an obvious given. The idea that they had it, that would be like, 
you know, making an amendment to protect people's, the ability of them to grow and pick food, uh, vegetables. That's ridiculous. Why does this amendment exist? Now it's going to become real clear, as I've already said, as we go through all of these, that these all have one underlining meaning, and that is protection from authority, period. Um, Everyone on the Democratic side of the aisle makes disingenuous arguments about gun control. They talk about common sense gun control. Uh, The amendment says shall not be infringed. And everyone on the right, by the way, really kind of um, makes disingenuous arguments as well. They say, well, this is for modern sporting. This is for home defense. This is for, you know, just, uh, I don't know, just generally being more, more macho and Joe Rogany. I don't know. Um, but they try to make softer arguments or the NRA makes kind of soft arguments to kind of, um, you know, they call AR-15 modern sporting rifles and things like that. They try to soften the language so that it doesn't become um, as so that it seems not, not, like not as much of an issue. OK, why was this written? There is one specific reason why and only one reason why this amendment was written. The point of the Second Amendment is parity of force with the standing military. Period. The point of the Second Amendment is that these civilians should be just as armed as the standing military of the country, period, so that the military of the country cannot dominate and control the citizens. Specifically, it means that whatever, as when they talked about this later, specifically what they meant was that whatever the standard firearm of the infantry of the country's military is, civilians should also have. In their time, that was muskets. In our time, it is the M4 carbine, or in the case of civilians, the AR-15, which, by the way, does not stand for assault rifle. It stands for Armalite, the company that made it in the first place, and which is not a fully automatic weapon. Civilians cannot buy machine guns. It is a semi-automatic weapon, which means one trigger pull, or rather one trigger press, one bullet. That is how almost all modern firearms work. Um, so this idea that you can, you know, civilians can buy weapons of war that don't belong on our streets. Um, that's the point. They're, they are weapons of war. That is the point. People will then make the argument, well, what, are you going to fight the U.S. military? No, of course not. Joe Biden came out and said, well, you know, we've got nuclear weapons, we've got planes, we've got bombs, we've got all of this stuff, like you have no chance. Okay, well, I have two things to say to that. And again, this is not an incitement to violence. This is me trying to talk, think through the mindset of the people who wrote this document. I am against violence, do not perpetrate it. Two things, Vietnam and Afghanistan, two wars that the United States lost to poor, illiterate farmers with crappy Russian weapons that were falling apart. Throughout history, any, per, any, any group of people that is occupied in its own territory throughout history always prevails for a lot of reasons. One, they know the territory. Two, they're a lot more motivated than the occupying force to hold their territory. And three, the entire population can be engaged in total war, unlike the occupying force, meaning a kid can be an insurgent. Someone's grandma can be an insurgent, as was the case in Iraq. Very tragically, this is why America won the Revolutionary War. 
So this caveat that it is not a deterrent is false. And ultimately, that's what it is for. It is for to be a deterrent. It is not to call for open conflict, war, or violence. Nor should it ever be. And if it does result in that, that is a, a that would be a cascade failure of just about every system in this country. That would be the absolute worst case scenario. And I don't think we're going to be in a situation. Honestly, I do not think we're going to be in a situation where that ever occurs. However, the reason this is in place is so people think twice. So let's look at this from a couple angles. I'm just going to look at this from the perspective of, of the Democratic Party. Let's combine some arguments. Trump is a fascist. Trump is a dictator. Trump hates all people of color. He hates women. He wants to build a wall at the southern border. He wants to exercise violence against minorities. Uh, he's putting migrant children in concentration camps at the border across the country. He attempted to overthrow the government for real. He tried to cover it up. He tried to essentially essentially take over the entire thing and throw it into a dictatorship. We should give the government all of our guns. Uh, okay. How does that make sense? And by the way, I'm not arguing with these arguments. I'm not arguing against these arguments. I'm simply just putting together two different arguments that are made from the Democratic side of the fence. That's all I'm doing. Okay, here's another one. Cops are all racist. They're all killers waiting for a chance. There are racist gangs within the police. They are disproportionately killing young black men. All that it takes to be murdered in cold blood by the police who, by the way, are tantamount to the Ku Klux Klan and are the clear survival of slave patrols from the 19th century. All that it takes to be wantonly murdered by the police in America is to be black in America. Only the police should have guns. Only the cops should have guns. We should be totally defenseless. Okay. By the way, who's the biggest growing group of firearm owners in the United States? Black people. Also women. The whole narrative that it's all like toothless NRA people just does not, the data does not bear it out. Here's another one. Cops are evil. We should abolish the police. Either defund or completely abolish. They are incompetent, which after Texas, hard to argue in many cases. The police are totally incompetent at best and actively malevolent at worst. We should abolish the police. Also, no one should have guns. Neither the, the police nor individuals should have guns. No one should be able to protect themselves. By the way, what's the argument that's always given? Well, you don't need a gun. You can call the police. But at the same time, the police are psych psycho killers. Okay. In my way of thinking, the only way that you could ever make, tr truly make any of these arguments is if you are coming from a true place of privilege. Period. If you live in a gated community and you're Nancy Pelosi and you have a private security detail 
or, you know, you're just the type of person that like went to school on the East coast and shops at whole foods and now like has a cush job, uh, you know, in a market research firm or something like that. And violence has never crossed your path and is not part of your world. And not only that, but you just have an innate sense of the system being set up for you more than anything else that at, you know, no matter what you say, no matter what argument you make about structural inequalities within society at your core, deep down, you feel the system is set up for you because you have a job, you're paying taxes, you're a, a good person. And of course, bad things would never happen to good people. It certainly didn't happen to good people in Texas or Sandy Hook. Um, then you live in a delusion. And those are the people making those arguments. Or you're Justin Trudeau. You're the son of a politician who grew up in wealth, privilege, and power, who is to all intents and purposes, like, I don't know, like the kid, like Paul Atreides from Dune or something like that, although he's not nearly that cool. If you live in a world where you think that you do not need to be responsible for your own safety, you're rich just to be totally direct about it. You are rich and not everyone is. And people who are not rich, when they call the cops, do you think the cops show up? No, the police will be the first to tell you that they don't. If you've all, if you've ever had to call the cops in your life, you know that this is what happens. They show up eight hours later to write a report about what went down. That's about the best you can hope for in most cases, unless you're Nancy Pelosi. Chairman Mao once said power comes out of the barrel of a gun, or at least that was attributed to him. He was correct. You can think about, you can have the most, you know, lovely uh, ideas about progress and restructuring society as you want. But at the end of the day, the world is about force. And we don't like to think about that because we've built up this society where, um, to, we, where we don't have to confront that where we can keep our nails clean, where we can be, um, quote unquote, more civilized, where killing is done for us by other people out of sight so that we don't have to think about it. Because just because you don't have to confront violence doesn't mean that other people don't on your behalf. And we can make lots of moral arguments about whether they should or not, but that's a different argument. Because, you know, outside of Candyland, unfortunately, Civilization requires violence to exist uh, and, and often completely without moral compunction. So just because you don't have to go fight in the wars, uh, unless you have, in which case you've seen a lot more than I probably ever will, but uh, unless you are the one going and fighting in the wars or you are the ones working in the slaughterhouses, making the meat that you eat you know, shove into your face every day without thinking, unless you're vegan. Um, you benefit from violence. You stand on a pile of skulls, hundreds of thousands of years old that is exists and has existed for the single singular reason of bringing us to this certain time and place. So don't pretend that it's not necessary. If you wish to abdicate your responsibility for your own defense and expect other people to do it. If you want to be a tiger that tears its own claws and fangs out, that's fine. 
don't expect the rest of us to do the same thing. Don't push your defenselessness on us. Because a lot of other people uh, will never accept that. As a final point on that, it's amazing how fast the news cycle moves. I remember just a few months ago when Russia invaded Ukraine and Ukrainian civilians took to the streets with AK-47s to form civilian militias to drive back the force of the Russian the ongoing invasion of Russia that if, by the way, if they don't protect against is going to result and has resulted in the death or worse of all of the women and children of Ukraine, let alone everyone else. Um, and they are the only line of defense between that and the Russian army when people, when, you know, there were so many flowing op-eds of, you know, some, this guy was an orthodontist and now he's fighting with an AK in the streets or even, uh, people from the U S like from Reddit going over there to fight. And it was just nothing but flowers and roses for people defending themselves from an occupying force. But then when it comes to the U S a month later, it's no one should have guns. Eh? Okay. Amendment three. P.S. Just as a final bit to wrap that up, we currently have as president in the United States, Joe Biden, possibly the most anti-gun, pre- uh, the anti-gun, most anti-gun politician full stop in U.S. history, who everyone is rallying behind to get rid of the bad, scary things so that everyone is defenseless from, from, and by the way, that's definitely going to stop people from getting any of the 400 million guns that are already in the United States uh, and using them against now defenseless people. We have Joe Biden, the most anti-gun politician possibly in U.S. history, who, by the way, everyone has conveniently forgot about, is, lar- is one of the primary architects of the modern prison system, which now houses more black men than were ever enslaved at the height of slavery in the United States. Hmm. Yeah, that's who you want to make you defenseless. Moving on. Amendment three. No soldier shall, in time of peace, be quartered in any house, without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. This one will be mercifully short. Soldiers can't take your shit. The military cannot roll up, say, you have to put us up, do God knows what while while they're there, eat all your food, harass your family, uh, and take your shit. Uh, that's not true also in a lot of places in the, in, in the world. So are you seeing a bit of a pattern here in terms of protection of individuals from the government? Okay. Amendment four, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. Okay. Let's be even more clear about this one. The government cannot knock on your door in the middle of the night without a, I mean, well they can, but they cannot knock on, knock on your door in the middle of the night and drag you out of your house and disappear you for no reason. It has to go through at least legal channels. 
Now, can legal channels be corrupt? Yes. Are they often corrupt? Yes. But again, we're not talking about absolutes here. We are talking about at least what ability of defense we have been able to preserve. The fact that we have these means something. It is not meaningless. So think about that in the context of the previous amendments. The government cannot just disappear you. Things you, you have rights as an individual. It needs to go like if you are to be arrested, it needs to go through legal process. It needs to go through the system. You can't just be disappeared and never seen again. And by the way, that extends to your belongings. Okay. At least within the context of this amendment. Now, let me caveat again. How realistic are these things? So we recently did a podcast with Damian Eccles. Damien said on his YouTube recently, you know, the idea that you actually have rights is, is not, is, is a bit of an illusion, right? The idea that the, the government, in his case, the Arkansas state government, so that's a bit of a different question in, in a certain sense. Um, and unfortunately he was at the mercy of a corrupt government, which is what we're trying to avoid here. So there's a certain test case, unfortunately, um, the idea that you have rights and that you have rights within the system is um, an illusion. If you get on the bad side of the system, God help you, right? They have a million and one ways of chewing you up in the system through paperwork means, through, through bureaucratic means, through shuffling things around. And once you're in the prison, once you're in the prison system, good luck. Right. So again, we're talking about ideals to aim for, but just the fact that we have the ideals means something. It means a lot. Okay. Amendment five, no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when an in actual service in time of war or public danger nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. So due process, right? And this amendment has been legally argued to for a lot of other things, including, by the way, Roe v. Wade, in a way that I don't understand is based on um, the Fifth Amendment. It's a personal seizure of personal property. They turned it into something like that, um, which is unfortunately why it was weak enough to be um, um, thrown out. So due process, you are not to be at the mercy of people by just based on their whim, just by the fact that they have power. People in power in America cannot exercise it against you just because they have power, which was in contravention to literally every single other state or form of government in world history prior to America, to my knowledge. There's a system, right? Now, unfortunately, this puts you at the mercy of the system, which is a whole other thing. But the fact that we can talk about systemic issues rather than people just straight up disappearing and torturing people is a big advance. Okay. Sixth Amendment. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed. 
which district shall have been previously ascertained by law and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. So right to a fair trial with an impartial jury. Big deal. By the way, English law does not work like this. It's totally different. In America, you have to be, um, you are presumed innocent until you are proven guilty. In England, you are presumed guilty until proven innocence. The burden of proof is on proving your innocence. Think about that. It's not the case in the US. And this extends to everyone. The fact that everyone, and yes, public defenders suck, but people can, it's better than nothing. Uh, people can access that. This, is, this applies to literally everyone. Uh, you have the right to a speedy trial, meaning, and public trial, meaning it can't be, you know, it's a public record. That's a big deal. So they can't just say they came to a conclusion and then disappear you. Uh, they can't just like say you're on trial for 40 years until you die. And it has to be made clear. It can't be like um, Kafka's The Trial, where they drag the guy out of bed in the middle of the night, put him on trial, never tell him what he was accused of, and just disappear him for no reason ever being expressed to him, which, by the way, again, is how it works in a lot of countries. Okay. Seventh Amendment. In suits at common law where the value and controversy shall exceed $20, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise re-examined in any court of the United States than according to the rules of the common law. So I believe that $20 that they're talking about, and I could be wrong, is essentially the distinction between small claims court where people, which now I think is around like $600. It's like people fighting over somebody broke a washing machine or something like that. But otherwise it's trial by jury, fair trial, right to a fair trial, and it means once they come to a conclusion, it doesn't get, you know, they can't just retry you to prove you guilty. Big deal. So equality in theory, which we should extend in practice to the greatest, utmost human possibility under the law, you get a trial instead of just being taken out into the center of center square and shot or have your head lopped off as it was before. Eighth Amendment, excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. Translation, the government cannot torture you or economically ruin you or do economic games to just completely fuck your life. But basically, the government cannot torture you. Okay, are you beginning to understand the importance of this document? Ninth Amendment. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. So this, I think we could argue, actually means that the Bill of Rights does extend to everyone, even if it wasn't meant, even if they did not potentially think about it outside of the scope of white male landowners at the time. Because it doesn't say that these are to be taken, like nowhere in this document does it say that it is to be taken away from certain people. They did have to explicitly write this in later, but I think that this can easily be seen to say that it applies to all Americans. So bottom line is just because we are allowing you these rights in this document doesn't mean that you don't have others. You have any right that is not, you, you have all the rights, you know. 
fifth, uh, 10th amendment. Now here's the one they really don't want you to know about. You never hear anyone talking about this. 10th amendment, the powers not delegated to the United States by the constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Uh, if we don't say it specifically in the constitution, we meaning the federal government, we can't do it. Anything that is not written into law in, in the constitution is not technically legal to be done by the federal government. Do you see anything in here about taxes? Do you see anything in here about conscription or take your pick of other issues? Do you see anything in here, by the way, about abortion? Nope. And the 10th amendment says, if we don't prohibit it, you have it. It's state's rights or your right. Now, this unfortunately is what basically just happened with the Roe v. Wade verdict being thrown out. Is it just, it just returned to being a state's rights issue. I believe they argued that be actually because of the 10th amendment, um, that abortion is not a federal issue and therefore goes back to the states. So there's, uh, depending on where you live, there's pros and cons to this, but extrapolate that one. When have you ever heard a government saying it, you automatically have a right as long as we didn't say it in our founding, say otherwise in our founding documents. Okay. Now, technically there's 27 amendments. <clears throat> the bill of rights is the first 10. We're going to stick with that. But think about, think about all of these things. What would it be? What would it mean to fully live up to the entire bill of rights? What would it mean to take this as a spiritual document? What would it mean to take this as a list of responsibilities to live up to rather than just rights to assume? Right. And we do not to be a boomer, but we do throw a slap into the face of everyone who has um, died and suffered to get us to this point by just either taking these things for granted or actively arguing against them. So if I'm to take any political stance on this podcast, it would be this. The Bill of Rights is a tremendous document. It should be upheld. There are documents that push the ultimate rights of humanity even further, for instance, Liber Oz. But this is pretty good. This is, again, a product of the Western esoteric tradition. If you're interested in something like Freemasonry and you get involved in that, you will see that everyone is pretty much operating on the same wavelength. It's the same vibe as this. The reason is because Masons founded this country. And by the way, that's a good thing, not something to like have a conspiratorial freak out about. That's a good thing. So fight for your rights. Do not fight against anyone else's rights at the very least. Too many people right now are occupying all of their time trying to take away rights from other people. You should be optimizing all of the rights that you have and fighting wherever possible to extend them to all people. The, by the way, the argument that this is all for, again, the argument that this was for the 1700s, um, not true. The argument that this was for a certain group of people may have been true at the time. It is no longer true, um, uh, at, anymore. And I will say another thing about that, that a lot of the rhetorical tactics that we end up seeing Republicans or Democrats using to chip away at this document, because of course they both want to chip away against it. 
Government does not want to be constrained. That's why this document is so important to protect us from these people, no matter where they are on the spectrum. Okay, so that's my boomer rant for today. Thank you for humoring me. I hope that the effect of this is not to make me come across like a, some nut or, you know, a ranting Fox News person or something like that. Um, but to underline, if there's one thing that I want you to take away from this, it is to underline the fact that the source code of the country is great and all of the people currently jockeying for power in the country are fundamentally against the source code. They're both trying to chip away at the rights and protections that were given to us, or rather the rights that were protected, but that we don't have to throw the whole thing out. I love America. I believe in America as an ideal, even if there's next to no evidence for seeing that ideal in action. Um, although that said, maybe the evidence is the least dramatic and the least in our attention. Because the fact that this generally works at all is nothing short of a miracle. I think that all that we need to do to resuscitate this country is go back to the source code. Okay, we will return to regularly scheduled programming next week. Check out our courses at magic.me, where at the very least you can attain individual liberation. As I pointed out many times before, spiritual liberation cannot exist without um, personal liberation, meaning political liberation, economic liberation, everything. It's all one package. And I leave you with that. The name of the 